0: In our series right now, we're talking about blessings at home, and I hope you had some blessings at home in the last week. That was kind of the whole idea of Thanksgiving. And, uh, and we've been sort of framing things with this, uh, with this idea, that in the New Testament, the word church is offered to us in two different ways. The ekklesia is the gathering. That's what we're doing right now. And then the oikos is the Greek word that means to build a house or to have a household. And so the oikos is actually the more, I'm say it might be the more important part of your church life, the part that will never happen in this building, the part that happens in the building that you call home with the people that you're closest to, the people you're with every day. And that's why Zech a little bit earlier said, you know, hey, at Thanksgiving, it's like this exponential growth of the church because all of us probably had a lot more oikos-type fellowship than we would in a typical week. That's a good thing, I hope. Um, So a question for you is, how is your oikos doing? Your house church, your household expression of your Christian faith. If you think about your family, so you could start with your nuclear family, and then you could expand it a little bit to say the people that are closest to you in proximity or in relationship— Say, those people, the people that surround my daily life, my household, how are we doing together as a church, as a little piece of BCBC church, which is just a little piece of the global Christian family? Your oikos is where you'll spend most of your time. So here, if you think about it, it's actually pretty easy to do church here because this is called a church, and we come in and we do very Christian things in this building, which is great. But it does, it might actually distort our understanding a little bit of the Christian life, the way that we have kind of constructed church in Western cultures, because we think that right now we're in church, and then we leave church and we go somewhere else. Well, we leave the ecclesia, and most of us are going to go right home to the oikos, where real life will happen. So here, you can smile, things you can present pretty well, you might be able to hide a few things about the uglier side of life from the people around you and we can all kind of thumbs up, high five, handshake, life is good. And then we go home and we're faced with the frustrations of our daily existence, the pressures of our family life, the the meanness of a family member we're, we're faced with all sorts of things that kind of bring to light what is really our faith and what does it really mean to follow Jesus if, if you can only follow Jesus when you're in a church building I would say you're not really a Jesus follower you're just kind of maybe a Jesus observer but when you learn how to follow Jesus in and through your household that's when your Christian life really starts moving in the right direction so Thinking about this week, how in around the Thanksgiving table, we're all forced to have conversation, uh, which again is supposed to be a cheerful thing, right? A good thing. Here's a way that I think we could think about the health of our Christian homes the conversations in your home are a primary indicator of your spiritual health. So, if I was a fly on the wall at your house, what would I see? about you, nothing about these poor flies, like they fly around us and they have to see the truth, right? We all can hide things from each other, but the flies on the wall, they see what actually happens. So if you're angry, they see it. If you're prideful, they see it. If, if you're selfish, they see it. They're, they're sort of this observer seeing the actual life of the church that lives at your house, you. So if that fly had been at my house in the last few days, First of all, I don't think it would have survived because I had a lot of kids that would have been really excited to kill it if they would have seen it, okay? So, um, but if that fly lived through the experience, it stayed way up high on the ceiling, it would would have observed like just complete chaos on multiple days in the last four days for us. Um, I counted, I, I kind of stood back after all, you know, serving a whole bunch of food to different people. Around our table, which we do have a big table, but sometimes we push the limits, we had 23 kids around our table, um, you know, fellowshipping, laughing, crying, hitting, uh, just the whole, you know, everything. It was all happening, and it was great, right? So the, uh, we went through lots of cans of olives, we went through a tremendous amount of other food, um, and uh, the flies on the wall, I'm sure, were greatly entertained. I do know that sometimes what the flies see is not what I would want you to see. Maybe the flies at your house have seen some things as well that you would say, I hope that doesn't get broadcast. You know, the Pentagon has flies that have cameras on them. You know that, right? So theoretically, that could happen. Um, And so the flies see you, they video you. You say, I I don't want that, that version of me to be the public version of me. That's the home me. That's the private, behind-closed-doors me. Well, I would contend that's also the oikos you. Your actual life experience with Jesus, following Him, and your actual church meetings that are going to matter the most and add up the most over your lifetime are not going to be here. They're going to be at your house. So, I don't want to just leave you and the flies all really depressed today um, about the state of things. So what can we do and how do we, how do we help the situation? How do we help the conversations in our home start going a different direction? So for that answer, I'd like you to turn the Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite texts just because it's so clear. We actually turn here pretty often um, at BCBC just because it's, it's really a great summary of a lot of the things we believe about what life is supposed to be. So we're going to start reading in verse 15 and see how, and remember, as we learned last week, part of how we read the New Testament shifts in our mind when we understand that God sees us not just as individuals but also as families and as households and as groups. So these letters that were written in the New Testament were not just written to Joe, Uh, or Sam, or Sally, they were written to whole church groups and whole households at once. So the idea is we apply them together. So let's read and apply this together. Verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, which, of course, is our purpose, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now I, as an American and one who's used to thinking of church in boxes and buildings and things like that, I've, I've read this text many times and I'll think about you all when I read this. Like, hey, we, BCBC, need to be healthy, growing, and full of love as each part does its special work. All right, that's true. But in the context of this series, I thought, you know, I should probably look this up. I wonder which New Testament word for church is actually happening here. So what do you think? Is it it important that the ecclesia is healthy, growing, and full of love, the gathering? Sure, but that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about the body of Jesus, and it actually uses the word oikos to talk about the growth. It's interesting, it's kind of a compound word in Greek that means house building, kind of almost you could think of it like a verb, like some action, like you're a home builder. So the idea is that as you're expressing your spiritual gift, as you're living for Jesus, you're actually building up the household of faith. The household expressed in your household is healthy, growing, and full of love. Say, uh-oh. It's easier to imagine the church doing that, the church building, the church organization. As long as they're doing well, that, that could be healthy. But is my home actually healthy? Am I healthy and growing and full of love? So let's find out how we do that in the next few verses. Verse 17, with the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts. Which is sad that some people are that way. I hope you're not one of those. If you are, you know, open your mind, soften up your heart, and find out there's a better way to live than your way. It says they've hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sh- sense of shame They live for lustful pleasure and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Say, wow, right there, that little phrase, that could be a family motto that would change the nature of family, right? If the Holy Spirit was in charge of our thoughts and attitudes, wow, that would be a big shift. Well, there is hope, okay? So, we're going we're gonna to walk through how that could actually happen in just a minute. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, so that before we are all members of one body— And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives the devil a foothold. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Now, when I think about all of that, I say, wow, I want my heart to reflect these verses. I want my mouth to sound like these verses. I want my attitudes to be like this. And thus, I want my household to be this way. But how in the world... Are we going to get our households to be that way? I don't think you'll wake up one day and magically it will just be that way. Especially if you'd say we've been drifting away from that, maybe actively careening away from that for many, many years. So we're actually going to have households that are free from anger and full of peace and joy and kindness. How will we get there from wherever we're starting from right now? Well, we start with a plan. So I'm going to give you seven pieces of a plan, and you can do with these as you will. Now, last week, you all did really well remembering five questions, so we'll expand a little bit here. Seven statements, they're pretty easy, seven things you can do that you can plan for that would change the conversation in your household to look more the way Jesus wants it and the more the way it ought to be, and less selfish and bitter and angry and biting. All right, so you ready for that? Seven plans, here's the first one to tell the truth to the people closest to me. So verse 25, when he says, hey, you've got to live this new life, put off the old, put on the new. So stop telling lies. Tell your neighbor the truth instead. Now I'm good if you want to tell your your neighbor the truth, like the person who lives in the house next to you. I think it's a win to tell your neighbor the truth. Um, But what I'm interested in today is, are you willing to tell the truth to the person who's a neighbor to you at the dinner table, the person who's in the neighboring bedroom to you, the person who's in the neighboring couch or recliner to you? If you can tell the truth there, you're on the right track. So the Bible says this so clearly, let let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body, like we all have the same mission. We all have one purpose in our lives. And especially if you start to boil it down and say, as a gathering and then as a household, as a family, of course, that should be where the most truth is told. And yet sometimes it's really hard to tell the people that are closest to us the truth. It's strange that that's the case, but it is. So let's plan to stop lying and start telling the truth. We'll come back to that, but here's the second plan we have to make. I plan to speak words of peace in my home. So that is, if my home is filled with tension and strife and anger and rage and malice and all all of these negative feelings, I could decide and plan to be a peacemaker instead of feeding into all of that negativity. Say, Dan, you don't understand. I've been practicing being really good at being negative for a long time. Okay, well... The plan will have to get all the more intentional, and you might need some accountability on your plan. Uh, But here's what the Bible says, right? So simple. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you, and don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And by the way, why not? It's not up here, but if you keep reading in the next phrase, why not let the sun go down on your anger? Because anger gives the devil a foothold. You imagine the devil knocking on your front door, you open the door and say hi, he sticks his foot in the door, it's gonna be a lot harder to get rid of him now. That foothold that you give the devil is your anger. So there's two principles here in this verse, right? First, don't sin by letting anger control you. You you know, and I know, that there will be moments, especially inside your house behind closed doors, that you'll feel frustration that you'll get angry at somebody that there's going to be there's going to be lots of opportunities for that every day of our lives so i can't sin by letting that anger control me see it's one thing to be tempted to get angry or to feel frustrated it's another thing to let that anger actually control the words you're saying the actions you're taking you say lord help me not to let that happen I'm planning to be a peacemaker. I'm planning to speak words of peace, never words of anger. You could make a commitment in your heart to not be angry again. Like there's nothing that says you have to be, and Jesus did die to save you from things like anger. So it would just be a decision that you would make to say it's more important for me to follow Jesus than to express my angry feelings. Once you make that decision, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to keep following through, but that's the road that we're on as Jesus followers, right? And then the, the second principle is don't let the sun go down while you're angry. So if there's tension, if there's anger, the right way to deal with it is not to say, let's let it blow over. Let's check back in a few months and talk about it. No, right then, as soon as you, as soon as you t- sense that break in fellowship, that tension, you go to that person you s- do what you can to make it right. Sometimes if you're not the angry person, maybe you live with one, You can't fix it, and the Bible says as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. can't necessarily fix their problems, but you can say as far as I'm concerned, I'll live in peace. Okay, so we have to plan for that if that's going to happen. Here's the third one. I plan to reject mean comments and bad words. Now, you would think this would be kind of elementary, kind of simple, but I think about mean comments and bad words are kind of like a window into the actual soul Of a person. Again, it's a lot easier to do this right here in this environment, right? How many of you have given a mean comment or thrown out a curse word at somebody in the last 25 minutes? Don't raise your hand. uh, uh, Probably you're doing pretty good on plan number three right now in church, right? Let's talk, I want to talk to you tonight, like after you've struggled through the day. Are you able to follow Jesus in the words that you say? So, Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, don't use foul or abusive language. So there would never be a moment, and think of this, there's never a moment in the life of a Jesus follower when a bad word should come out of your mouth. It's never necessary. Never has to happen. Especially if you're using it to abuse someone or to accuse someone uh, or to run someone down. There's never a moment that you have to say something mean to someone else. And you know when it happens. I know when it happens. It's the difference between, you know, it's one thing to like coach somebody, give hard truth, that kind of thing. But the moment you're speaking to kind of jab a person, like you feel it. You, you feel it in your conscience. Some, somehow even, I don't know, I actually feel it. Like I feel in my stomach or something like, ugh, you know, I'm, do I want to hurt that person with my words? There's never a moment when a Jesus follower needs to do that. There's never a moment you ever have to do that again you think, especially to the people I love the most. Why in the world would I bring that kind of thing home and do that to my family? And yet, some of us do. I heard about a woman that was uh, talking to her pastor about her problem with swearing. Just curses would come out of her mouth, just fly all over the place. And she was so frustrated because she'd been trying to overcome this bad habit of cursing, swearing. She just couldn't Seemed to get rid of it. So she's talking to this pastor, kind of pouring out her heart. The pastor said, Well, in the last five or ten minutes since we've been talking, I haven't heard you curse. And she said, Oh, well, I would never say that here in front of you, which is interesting to think about, right? Could this woman stop cursing? Sure. In church, in this kind of church, But then she would go home and lose the filters, I guess. Sometimes, as a pastor, I'll be in a situation where someone will throw out a curse word and they'll look over at me and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, does that offend you? I've always, it happens to me quite a bit. And I've always thought like, well, what do I exactly say? So technically, I would say, no, it doesn't offend me. I'm kind of worried about who it is offending on behalf of that person, but it's not, I mean, I don't care what you say. God cares what you say and what comes out of your mouth. And so again, as a, as a Christian, there would never be an appropriate moment. Oh, you're with some buddies. Oh, you're surprised. Oh, it's really a hard day. That person really cut you off in traffic. Your football team lost the game or won the game. Something happened, and suddenly there's so much emotion in you that something comes out is it ever? Does it ever have to be foul or abusive language? It never does. So you can be free from that, but you'll have to plan to walk away from it because the world will tempt you to keep to keep on that cycle, and sadly, uh, that will come out most often to the people that you care about the most. Here's the next plan, number four: I plan to only say helpful words to the people that I love, which is really challenging. It um, says, let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So here's how I like to think of it. Um, you know how when you're making a plan, you might have a, a big purpose in mind, and then as you make the plan, you get down to the specific activities. So you'd say, okay, the reason I'm, whatever, doing this push-up is because I'm trying to get in shape for this particular kind of thing, and then and eventually it, there's, a, there's a plan that it's attached to, And any activity, you should be able to point at the plan and understand how it traces back to the purpose. So what I want to be true of my words is that you could freeze frame any conversation, any words that I'm saying out loud, mumbling to myself, anything, and trace it back to something good and helpful. If it traces back to something selfish, mean, or angry, it doesn't belong in my life anymore. So the plan is that everything that I would ever say is ultimately about encouraging and helping others, blessing and loving other people. The reason I think that we should take it that strongly, sort of that extremely, is I think about Jesus. And I would imagine that if we took any word that Jesus said, even if Jesus was telling a joke, and he, he does a few times, we're all so serious and studious. I think we might miss that. But sometimes there's humor, right? Even if Jesus is just laughing with the friends or whatever, anything he's doing, it all traces back to an ultimate purpose of good. Do your words all trace back to an ultimate purpose of good? So you say, Lord, help me that anything I say, I the fly buzzes by, it's not sitting on the wall, but it just passes you by in the middle of a conversation. Whatever it catches, whatever it heard, is it something that if we videoed it and looked at it, we'd say, yeah, I can see how this was ultimately about helping or loving um, or serving other people? Thumper's mom, who we're all, I think, familiar with in the movie Bambi, said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Now, I hesitated to put this up because I'm, I, I don't exactly know the specifics, but I'm pretty sure Thumper's mom has been canceled unless, I don't know, I, mean, I, just, I don't actually know that she has, it just seems like that's the kind of thing that would happen, right? That, that maybe this statement itself, you know, maybe some therapist looks at that and goes, oh, that's not technically true, okay, great, you know, cancel Thumper's mom, but the, the Bible, Ephesians 4.29 actually does say this thought, right? That, if, if, that every word should be helpful, everything that comes out of your mouth should be ultimately about encouragement and love, and not about selfishness and hate and bitterness and all of that. So, um, so we say, Lord, help me that anything. if I'm going to open my mouth, I want whatever comes out to be a positive thing and not a negative thing um, in the big scheme of things. So then the fifth plan, I plan to make God proud by the way I talk behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. Now, not everybody is doing good in front of open doors but I, I would guess that that's your best behavior so if I hear you angry or cursing or selfish or bitter or something in front of things then I think wow I mean well, what must it like be like behind the closed doors right so maybe you have another level so where I'm interested in honoring God is not in front of other people it's actually behind the closed doors Say, does the Bible actually say that? Well, look at this verse, and you, you help me interpret it a little bit here. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. So what would be the opposite of that? Like that the way that you live brings what to the Holy Spirit? Joy, happiness, gladness. I was using the word pride not in the negative sense of it, but kind of like we would say, hey, make your father proud by doing the right thing. Make your mom proud by cleaning your room. Hey, make... God proud. And here's why I think about it. Look at the next phrase. It says, Remember, he has identified you as his own. So here's God looking down from heaven at you, going, That's one of my kids. I love that person so much. And then all of a sudden, that person starts, you know, cursing and being angry and being selfish. And you could almost think, like, what is God thinking? Like, ugh, you know, that's not, they, no, that's not me, you know, that's, that's not my influence on their life. The, uh, if, if God is the one who has identified you as own, you're His child, act like you're His child, speak like you're His child. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Instead, make God proud by the way that you talk and I talk behind closed doors. Okay, the rest of that verse, uh, verse 31 then says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So here's what, I was thinking about this one day when I was, I was in an airplane landing, and you know how when you get close enough to the ground, you can see all the houses just sort of laid out in spider web networks or whatever. It's kind of neat to think about, wow, under every roof here, there's people. So I was thinking about this and thinking, all right, there's some physical households. Would you agree that a Christian home would be different than the houses around it? Not necessarily in the way it looks, maybe, but probably not, but the way it feels. Like if you walked in the front door of those houses and one of them was Christian and the other ones were not, would you expect that there would be some sort of difference in the Christian one? Would you hope there would be a difference? That somehow in the Christian one, it would feel a little bit more like Jesus than the other ones. If it doesn't, then you would have to think, like, is that actually a Christian house? Like, it's wearing the label, Christian. So when you walk into your oikos, your household, and the physical representation of it being the building you live in, is there something special, something different? Or is it pretty much the same way everybody else's houses look? Think about the households that are represented on TV, okay, is my household pretty much just like one of those? Or is there something spiritually different? Is the conversation different? Is the flavor different? The attitude, is it different? See, it can be if we're willing to make a plan and start walking forward with Jesus toward these goals. So we get rid of the bitterness, the rage, the anger. We say, those things don't belong in my life anymore. If someone opens the front door of my house, I want them to meet Jesus there. Not that I have to cower in the corner because they just met the real me who's a big monster. Um, I I want whatever it is I represent in public to be the same person I am in private. Don't don't you want that? This is the way of following Jesus practically. So here's the sixth plan. Remember, six out of seven. I plan to be the most kind to the people with whom I spend the most time. Now, I don't know why we get this backwards, but is it true for you, you don't have to nod your head, but is, is it true for you that it's easier to be nice to people you don't know than people you do know? So if, you know, would you be like very polite to someone that you met at the store? Or maybe even someone in need that you run into and you think super nice to them? And you meet somebody in need at your house and you're like, ah, deal with it yourself. You go clean it up. You know? I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know why that is, but it feels like we get familiar with people and we stop being kind, right? So, so here in the text, we read the, the, the flip side. Like if we get rid of all the bitterness and the anger, what do we replace it with? Well, verse 32, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So there's, the, there's the, the key to what would make that Christian household feel different than the ones around it. It's, it's, the, it's not the fact that people are perfect in that household. I mean, forgiveness is necessary because there are problems, but, but we know how to deal with problems differently because we're following Jesus. So even though we're all imperfect, even though there's sins and offenses that happen, we're quick to forgive, we're quick to be kind, we're tenderhearted, we're treating other people the people closest to us, just like Jesus treats us. And then that leads to the seventh plan, and maybe the most important way to think of it. I plan to treat my family the way that God treats His. That's what I would wish for. I don't know that I'm hitting, I'm not batting a 1,000 on this for sure. What I, what I wish was the case for me is that for my wife and my kids, as they would interface with me, that I would be reminding them of what God would do. That's the goal, right? Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So we say the way that God is treating me, the way that God is loving me, the way God forgives me, the way God gives me grace and provides for me, that's how I want to serve my family, my household, my closest friends, the people I'm with every day, I want to represent to them not just the best of me, I want to represent Jesus to them in everything that I do. So, you can say, oh, man, that's pie in the sky, I'm so far from that. Well, I'm not encouraging you to snap into perfection right now, you can if you want to, but I'm I'm encouraging you to plan to walk like Jesus did. So, just make the plan, to say, you know what, instead of my mouth and the conversation of my oikos, my household, being what it has been, I want to walk this new road. I want to put off the old and embrace the new and live a completely different life than maybe whatever it is I grew up with or whatever I'm used to or whatever I see represented out in the world. Lord, I want to follow you and swim against the stream in doing that. So I want to give you three sort of steps to take right now, three actions as we conclude. You don't have to write these down because we're actually going to do them right now. Nobody's on the spot, don't worry. Here's the first action. If you say, you know what, I, would, I, I need this, my family needs this, we need to plan to go a different direction. Our conversation is not a good indicator of spiritual health. In fact, it's an indicator that something's wrong in our hearts. Lord, help us. What do we do? Here are three things you can do right now. Okay, this one's really easy. I realize as I'm looking around, not everybody takes notes, but you might say, you know what, I think, I, I think I'd like to try this. I'd like to make this, this plan to do the right thing, to say the right thing. We will email it to you. We'd be happy to do that. All you have to do is text your first name and your email address to the church's phone number right there. And this week, we'll bounce that back to you. We'll send you all these slides and a few other extras to kind of help you Make this plan, live this plan in your life. Okay, so that's up to you. If you want to do that, you can. For those of you who are on the list anyway, it's great. It's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> okay? The second action that we can take right now is this one. Let's pray for God's help. I mean, some of us might be like that lady that said, I, I can't stop, What I, I can't change, but, you know, somehow you're doing it right now. Like, you're all doing great right now. Good job. Um, let's keep it going. Let's see if we can walk a new road for one hour, for five hours, for five days, maybe for the rest of our lives to make this plan. So let's ask God right now for that help. Lord Jesus, um, we're really thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for all the ways that you have demonstrated a new way of life. Thank you, Lord, for giving us forgiveness when we fail, that well, we have second chances. It seems like we have millionth chances that You provide to us, even though we have said wrong things so many times. We've been on the wrong side of these equations so many times. You, you offer us grace. You offer us transformation. You invite us to walk a new way. So, Lord, today, I, and I hope all my brothers and sisters here, we plan to follow the Bible. We're not just believing the Bible, we're planning to follow what the verses say about how we should talk and what we should do. So Lord, would you give us the courage to make that change and to follow through on those plans? I pray that you would Make us strong for that task. I know that many of us in our weakness fall to anger. Many of us in our bitterness might fall to meanness or selfishness. Lord, would you strengthen us to go a new way? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The third action is this simple, to proactively practice all this right now. Now, it's possible you're sitting with someone from your household, your family member, and maybe you say, man, I'm not ready for that level of commitment yet. Can I try it on somebody else? Sure, you could do that. You could find someone you've never met before, and you could be nice and see what happens. You know, it might might be great. Test drive it. Now, that, that approach, say, I'm going, to, I'm going to stand up from where I'm sitting right now and find someone that I can encourage, someone I can say something nice to, someone I can help somehow, that is practicing the kind of action that you can take as often as you want to at your own house. So practice it here and then go do it there. And next week, we'll keep talking more about all this, Until then, God bless you. We'll see you.